Let's pray. Lord God, let this message be acceptable in your sight. Let it glorify you, and through the power of your word, fill our hearts so that we love you evermore. Through Christ Jesus, I pray. Amen. Christ Jesus, through the gospel. God, through Christ Jesus and his gospel, has called each and every one of you out. That's what it means to be the church, the called out ones. And through the gospel, he has called each and every one of you to be the church for times such as this. And now, we've spent considerable time understanding what does that mean. And we've seen that first and foremost, it is about Christ Jesus, about being a follower of His. Not a fair-weather fan, but a follower of His. Of one who is devoted to the Word, to fellowship, to prayer, to the breaking of the bread. Of one who is a steward of the gifts that God has given each and every one of us. The first and greatest gift is the gospel. But then there are the natural gifts, the spiritual gifts. There's the monetary gifts. We've taken a look at all of that. And all of this and more means what it means for us to be God's church for times such as this. But now, today, I want to go into one more topic one that often gets overlooked or simply assumed. What is the role, what is the main function of a pastor or preacher? I mean, that's one we often assume, isn't it? We come to church, there's a sermon, we've got all that. We just assume we know what that means, but rarely do we take time to define that. Now, I am going to give you a humorous tongue-in-cheek take on a job description that a call committee put together. You ready? A real challenge for the right man. Applicant must offer experience including, but not limited to, office manager, handyman, plumbing and electrical helpful, Educator, all levels, including college, social media and website developer, diplomat, children's worker, psychologist, social worker, vocational counselor, marriage counselor, wedding consultant, funeral director, writer, theologian, and missionary. Must know about all the problems of birth, marriage, and death. Also conversant in the latest theories and practices in areas like social justice, macroeconomics, international relations, and, of course, pandemic medicine. Should have an outgoing, friendly disposition at all times, day or night. He should be an intent listener. Right man will hold firm views on every topic, but is careful not to upset anyone who disagrees. Must be an agent of change but should not hold any expectation that people really want to change. Education must be beyond a Ph.D. requirement, 
but most of the time should talk and act like a good old Joe. A captivating speaker who is bold, but never makes people uncomfortable, especially regarding sin. Will spend 10 to 12 hours preparing a sermon that must fit within 20 minutes, realizing that it will be forgotten in an hour. Accountable to all church members and visitors for his conduct and views. Anyone applying will undergo a full investigation to determine sanity. Right? I, re- I read that to a person recently, and, and, and he said, Jesus wouldn't even fulfill all of that. And <laughs> I laughed at that. It's true, right? Here's something I've never heard a call committee have as a part of a job description. Must first and foremost be concerned with pleasing God. Must stand for God's truth even if everyone else disagrees. Must be zealous in preaching and teaching the word. With love and grace must correct and even rebuke false doctrine. Must be concerned more on holiness than happiness. Must equip the congregation so that they are alive in Christ, that they are willing to deny themselves, to die to their natural heart's desire and follow Jesus, to have his way of life be the pattern for their way of life, to equip the congregation to be active in the work of ministry, to be stewards of the gospel, of their natural and spiritual talents in building up the body of Christ. I've never heard that as part of a call committee's job description for a pastor. So you can hear the difference between the two, right? And part of the problem that we have with churches in America is that congregations, or at least people in the congregations, focus mostly on the first job description, not the second. And part of the problem we have in America with pastors and preachers is that it's easy to get sucked into the urgency of the first job description and forget the importance of the second. So today, we're going to spend some time learning about the primary role of a pastor and teacher. And there's so much more. I'd like to delve into so much more, but we're going to at least start the conversation. And we're going to start it with Paul's letter to Timothy. Timothy was Paul's protege, and this is his second letter to his protege, 2 Timothy. Uh, Timothy is in Ephesus. And near the middle end of the letter, he says this to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. So that's how he begins this. And for us to start to understand this, I would like to pose this question. What or who is the primary audience for a pastor or preacher? Or another way to say this is, to whom is the pastor or preacher first and foremost accountable to? I know this is kind of an odd question, right? Because here I am, a pastor, a preacher, speaking to the congregation. But the question is, who 
is my first and primary audience. God, isn't it? God is the first, foremost, primary audience for a pastor or preacher. And shouldn't it be that answer for you as well? Shouldn't your primary, your first and foremost audience be God himself? Because let's face it, when we die, we will come before God. And we will have to answer for everything that we have done or left undone. And if that doesn't put a little bit of fear into you, I don't know what will. Because you're going to come before God who is holy, who is righteous, who is the light of everything, and he will shine upon you. And this is actually Jesus Christ who is the judge, and he will be there. And you can hide nothing. There's no line. There's no hedging. It's all going to be black and white. And you are going to stand before him just as I will have to stand before him. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians. He says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, I want to be clear when I'm talking about this. For those who confess Christ Jesus, this does not mean that you have to be perfect because then there is no salvation for anyone. So this is not a matter of salvation. But so many people forget that you do come before him. And there's a judgment on all of your life. And nothing is hidden. As a pastor, as one who is called to shepherd the flock, I have to answer for everything I did or didn't do for all of you. Every single one who has come under my authority as a pastor, as a shepherd. So I'm called to that. So first and foremost, my aim is to please him and him alone. Above you. Above my wife. Above our daughter. My aim is first and foremost to please God. So let's go back now to what Paul wrote. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. This is about as forceful as you can get. I charge you, I solemnly bring up to you that you must do something. And I am bringing this before God Almighty, the Father who sits on the throne, and Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God. He is the line of the tribe of Judah. He's the only one who can open up the scroll. He is the one who is to judge both the living and the dead. He gives the full weight of that, right? Can you feel that? There's the full weight of this charge. Now, if you were going to write something about the full weight of this charge 
for the pastor, what would you put down? I'd just like you to think about that. What would be the primary thing that you would put down? This is what Paul writes. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preach the word. Think about that. Out of all the things that he could have written, he says, preach the word. He doesn't say, well, I want you to be a good marriage counselor. I want you to be a social worker. I want you to design website and know how to do live streaming. Right? All pastors seem to have to excel at that and since COVID. He didn't even say, I want you to be nice and kind. I just want you to love everybody. Now, by the way, we do have many commands, exhortations to be kind, to love one another. So there's no question that we are to do that. But he doesn't put that first. He says, preach the word. There's one overarching duty that you have, Timothy. It is preach the word. So we talk about preach, right? Well, what does that mean? To preach means to proclaim as a herald. To make a loud public proclamation one that has been given him by a superior. So we are to proclaim what God has given us loudly, boldly, so that there is no misunderstanding. We are given the word of God to proclaim. The lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ, and we proclaim his word. We proclaim what God has said. And this has been from the beginning. All the preachers that you can think about, the great preachers throughout history, they proclaimed the word of God. Moses proclaimed the word of God, thus says the Lord. Joshua proclaimed the word. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, John the Baptist, Going in more modern times, Martin Luther proclaimed the word. That's what he was called to do, even when it angered the Roman Catholic Church. Proclaimed the word. Charles Spurgeon proclaimed the word. Martin Lloyd-Jones, again and again, it's about the word. And so we're supposed to preach the word, not philosophy, Theories, speculations. We don't preach about self improvements, uh, uh, psychology, philosophy. We aren't. E- we're not even supposed to alter the word to make it more palatable. We're not supposed to leave things out simply because the culture of this time doesn't like to talk about certain topics, and we are certainly not supposed to set aside the word for other literatures. Or movies. Why would I say that? Well, let me tell you. There are pastors who have done movie series as sermons. I'm going to give you two titles, real titles. Finding Dory 2016. Learning Biblical Life Lessons from a Children's Movie. 
That's an actual sermon title. Or God is not done with you yet. Lessons from Lightning McQueen and Cars 3. So what pastors and preachers do is they start with a movie and then they try to work in Scripture into that. You have to understand, apart from the Word of God, a pastor has no power. Apart from the Word of God, there is no power in the preacher's Word. Yeah, now sure, you can have a pastor or preacher who's really excellent communicator. They're slick. A lot of them wear skinny jeans nowadays, you know? They've got all of that, and they've got all the hoopla that goes with that. And they might inspire people in certain ways, but there is no holiness in their words. There is no power of salvation or sanctification in those words. And I would go so far as this. If you are not preaching God's word, it does not matter how many people you please, it does not please God. If you are not preaching God's word, it doesn't matter how many people in the world you please, you are not pleasing him alone. So there is power in his word. You have to understand that there's actually power in his word, and it, we trust. We trust it's going to do the work that it needs to do. Any pastor or preacher who's preaching the word, they might think, you know, I was preaching over here, and the Holy Spirit took that word and moved that person. Moved that person. And you hear stories again and again like that. So what, what, what are we to do? What's the pastor? What's the preacher to do? We are to stand firm and unleash the word. Unleash his word, the power of God, and let it do its own work. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So we preach the word in its fullness. And that means we preach both the law, which convicts and condemns people and points them to Christ, And thus we preach the gospel in all its fullness because in the gospel there's forgiveness of sin and there's reconciliation and restoration. In the gospel there's life. And so we preach law again and again. We preach the gospel again and again and again. And why do we preach the gospel again and again and again? Because we forget it again and again and again. And I need it every single day, just as everyone else needs the gospel every single day. This is the role. And when Paul puts it this way, he frames it this way. It makes preaching the central task. The central task of the pastor is to preach the word. Even when things are busy, 
and the urgency of all the other stuff that first job description wants to overtake you. Look, this is not a problem just in today's world. It was a problem in the very beginning, the very early church. The apostles had this problem as well, which gives me a little bit of balm, I guess. Listen to this, Acts chapter 6, verse, starting with verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Oh, so there was a complaint within the congregation. There you go. A complaint arose by the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in their daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. That's really where we get deacons in the church. The people who are taking care of the needs for the congregation, the physical needs of the congregation. And Paul says you've got to be ready in season and out of season. So it could be in the grocery store. It could be at the gas station. Last week for me, it was in the post office. You know, they close the roundup or the, that drop off, so you got to go in and standing in line, all that sort of stuff. So I did what everybody else did. I pulled out my phone. I'm just like, oh, you know, wasting time. And a woman in front of me who I let go be, in front of me, she turned around and said, I really like your cross. So we talked about the cross a little bit. And I talked about the symbolism of the cross, the nails, the wire for the crown of thorns, the leather for the scourging. And so it's a little mini gospel presentation, isn't it? Not full. You're in the post office, right? And then, do you know what I said? Hey, our church is doing something. And we're just inviting people to say, come see. So I gave her a card. I said, come see. And she said, you know, thanks. And she looked out. She said, oh, my, my husband grew up Lutheran. Right? Be ready in season and out of season. So the other aspect now that we need to cover is to correct and encourage. He says, preach the word. Uh, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. So there are a couple words on there that we really don't talk about too much. There are three. Reprove. Reprove means to correct. Rebuke is stronger. It means to admonish or censure. Exhort means to strongly encourage. Although the way he's written it here, I think it's not just a gentle encouragement. It's a little bit harder encouragement that he's talking about here. This is the hardest part of church life. Who likes to be corrected? Raise your hand. Anybody? Yeah. Nobody likes to be corrected. 
As a matter of fact, in our culture, and we talked about this before, in our culture where it's my truth and I stand on top of the Bible and my words are on top of his words, how dare you correct me? I'm offended. And by the way, I've passed this along with some other pastors. I would say the number one commandment that many people in congregations have for their pastor, the number one thing is, do not offend me. I've passed that by a couple other pastors, and that seems to be one of those things. Do not offend me. But if there is correction, even done in a spirit of gentleness, people will reject it. And they'll say, well, who made you God? Who made you Jesus? Or they'll quote part of one verse because they've never read the Bible anywhere else. Don't judge. That's something that you get too. Now, I don't like conflict. I don't. I don't know really of any pastor who likes conflict. And thus... What happens is most pastors and preachers don't talk about the things that need to be talked about. Certainly from the pulpit, they'll shy away from the hard topics because it might offend somebody. Since I've been here at Joy, I've been told, don't use the word abortion. Better watch out about talking about homosexuality. Don't talk about what other churches are doing in town because uh, well, the Catholic Church one time had a Harry Potter VBS, you know, witchcraft vacation Bible school, or about what the Methodist Church is doing in town, which, by the way, if you look at the book of Revelation, they would be a synagogue of Satan. But don't do that because it might offend people who have ties to some of those organizations. You'll offend people. And so the the question always before any pastor is, whom do I please? That's really it, isn't it? Whom do I please? Do I please God or man? Do I, do I follow his word? Or do I just go with the flow so things will be calm? But then do I also risk the sheep going astray? going off into myths, dangerous areas, going into unbelief? Or do I mention something and risk their anger? This is always the choice that a pastor, a preacher has to make. And it is not an easy choice. You know this one, right? It's not an easy choice. But that's always what's before the pastor. Paul, in his letter to Galatians, he wrote this because he had just rebuked them severely. He said, For am, am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, by the way, this does not mean that a pastor gets to be a dictator. Not at all. You are to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Or we can talk about love and compassion to have the heart of Christ Jesus. And out of love, 
bring things up. That's the call, really. And it's, you can understand this is a narrow road for all of us to be on, isn't it? It's the narrow road. It's the gospel road, which says it is the truth of His Word. And you can't just say, well, whatever goes, nor can you be legalistic about it. It is His Word on the narrow road. John MacArthur said this. He said, I want to be known as a narrow-minded man. And I have to tell you, I too want to be one of the most narrow-minded men you know. Because it's the gospel. This is the call. This is the role of the pastor. Now, there's so much more we can plumb the depths into here. But I want to move to a next section here for our purposes. Because it is not only to preach the word, to shepherd the flock in that regard. It is to equip the saints. It says this, and I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So when Jesus said that he is building his church, and the gates of hell shall not overcome it, he didn't just leave and then go, good luck. He gave the church certain roles to help the church. So he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists. Now notice the last two there. It says shepherds and teachers. The other three are separate, but now there's a combination of shepherds and teachers. Here you could say pastor and teacher because the pastor is supposed to be able to teach as well. So he gave those roles for this purpose. And you need to listen up for this. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. I think this is one of the most overlooked Bible verses or misunderstood Bible verses in the Bible. Who does the work of the church? For most people, it's the pastor. And how it works is we hired you. We had a job description, right? We hired you to do the work of the church. And we'll hire a church secretary, and we've got a piano player and musicians, right? We hire them to do the work of the church. But this is exactly backwards. Totally backwards. Christ Jesus gave pastors and teachers for this purpose, to equip you for the work of ministry. To equip you. So what's that word equip mean, right? There's another word. Well, equip. Okay, well, equip means to supply, prepare, to train, to enable, to teach, to get you ready, to have you be mature as followers in Christ Jesus. That's what equipping is. To be able to be stewards of the gospel. That's what equipping is. And part of this equipping is teaching. Now, you've noticed throughout the years I've been here, I use those block letters, right? And I have to put them together each, you know, to make words. I've got the E, I've got to bring in a Q. I make them. I've actually saved a PowerPoint because I don't want to have to make them over and over again. It has over 120 words 
that we have defined here for what they mean. So you have a greater understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ Jesus. So you are to be, so I don't just do them for, I just don't do it for visuals, right? I do it because it's part of equipping you. Renewing your mind is part of equipping you. So we are to, you are to be equipped for work of ministry. Now we've talked about ministry before. At its root, it means serve. But I think it's better to talk about ministry, how we talked about it last week, which is to be a steward or stewardship. The active use of your talents, both natural and spiritual. The active use. So last week we talked about being equipped or being stewards in three areas. One is the gospel, right? To be an ambassador for Christ. And so everybody, if you didn't get it or take it last week, it's the come and see. You've got two business cards now. Last week there were three, actually more than three people I just bumped into. I just said, hey, come and see. There wasn't a huge gospel presentation. It was like come and see. In the grocery store, there was a, a young woman, uh, shaved head on one side, had three young kids. They all had Valentine's balloons, so I just said, they're all ready, and so we talked just a little bit. I said, hey, our church is just doing something. It's called Come and See, and I gave a card, and her husband came up at that time. She had mentioned that they had been in LDS, so the Mormon church. Don't go to church anymore. I said, no, that's fine. Come and see. That's it. Come and see. The other is your natural and spiritual gifts, and we've talked about that as well. You know, God gave you a song to sing, a specific song. Sing it as fully and loudly as you can. It could be that you have faith and you share the solidity of your faith, that you give a ride to somebody who is in need, that you make something that people can use, all for the glory of God. And then the spiritual, uh, the other one is our, our possessions, and including money. And we talk about God is good all the time when we do that. Now, all of this, all of this that we've just covered is about being active. Because when you're actually being stewards, here's what happens. You become alive in Christ. My job, the result of my job, my calling, my ministry, is to equip you in such a way that you become alive in Christ. Not that I can do it, but it's the Holy Spirit who does the work. But I still have that role of equipping you. So, the result of a pastor's role of equipping, a living faith, Paul wrote it this way, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of God. This statement right here is really where our mission statement comes out of. Our mission statement is to grow alive, deep and bold, in the love and knowledge of Jesus. That's what we work on here at Joy Church. 
And the more we work, the more alive, deep we go, bold we are. There is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. People not only see you, they start to see Christ in you. And that's a beauty, beautiful thing to behold. So when all of this occurs, when all of this equipping occurs, and you're using the equipping that is done, because it's going to be really easy for you to leave this on the chair. It's going to be really easy for you to leave this on the chair. It's going to be really easy for you to say, yep, I'm equipped and do nothing with it. But when you are equipped and you put it to work, two things happen. Your assurance of the truth of Jesus and all he proclaims grows. Paul wrote it this way. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The second one is our love for Jesus and others grow. Rather speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So now you might be wondering, okay, this is about the role of a pastor and preacher. How am I supposed to apply this? Right? Because every week we say, hear the word, apply the word. Put it into practice. Two things you can do. Examine how you are equipped for works of ministry, of being a steward of all the gifts God has given you. So where are you equipped? Where do you need to grow? And then do this. Reach out to me. Set up a time with me to have a conversation about this, about being equipped, about growing. I do that one-on-one. It's, you could call it mentorship. We call it discipleship. But we sit and we've had conversations, and they are fruitful conversations. If you were going to write the job description of a pastor, preacher, what would you write now? Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that through Christ Jesus, you have called us out as a church. You have equipped us with and through your word Lead us on by the power of the Holy Spirit, for all glory and honor is yours. In Jesus' name, amen.